Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we are back today for faculty meeting number 142, Engaging the Players. As I've said before, sometimes to go forward, you must look back, and we are continuing the series where we are revisiting some of the earliest episodes of the RPG Academy and kind of shining a light back on them. So this would be sort of a revisit to what was originally Dungeon Talk, Episode 3. Joining me today is my regular co-host, Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Yeah, this is this is fun. I enjoy going back and listening to these older episodes and hearing how your thoughts have changed. We haven't, in the, the two that we've done so far, we haven't got any sort of topic where you're like, oh, I fundamentally disagree with how I used to think. I, I think you, you've changed, definitely, but I'm, wait, I'm waiting for that time when we get to the point where you're like, Oh my word, Mike, past Michael, why did you ever think about that? So anyway, that'll be a good one. Past me was dumb in a lot of ways. Uh, and maybe future me isn't smart enough to realize how dumb past me was. Uh, maybe it'll be back in like 15 years when we're doing the third yeah, cycle yeah, for of sure. these. Yes. Uh, you know, it's like fourth wall breaking episode 280 is 142 looking back at episode three it's the matrix we're all in a simulation it's just inception d it's, it's dungeon talk to faculty meeting inception excellent uh but before we get started we always like to take a quick moment to talk about why we're here the goal of these faculty meetings is that in somewhere in this conversation that tom and i are about to have there will be something some little nugget that you the listener can pull out and use at your game table to make your games better But we understand that the opinions we have and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as you and the people at your table are having a good time, you're playing it correctly. So with that out of the way, let's jump into some RPG news. Tom, what you got for me? Okay, so a couple things. Uh, the first one is, Michael, I, have you heard of One More Multiverse? Sort of. I've actually gotten a couple press release emails on this, yep. but it was all sort of gobbledygook to me. I didn't understand it, and I don't have any previous knowledge, so I didn't really do much with it. Okay, so most of the pe- most people don't have any previous knowledge of this, because it only started to really make headlines a couple days ago. I think that was when... Uh, you had Dicebreaker writing some articles. Uh, io9 had an article about it. It was very, this feels very, this is a new digital RPG platform for streaming, creating games, and supposedly a digital marketplace. Okay, so what's so interesting about this is that all of a sudden it kind of just, it's all of a sudden on the scene. Okay. Uh, nobody's really heard a whole lot about the people who are involved, but then there was some reporting that, so, one more multiverse was kind of pitching itself as hey we're we're kind of small indie kind of studio kind of deal and then people start digging turns out this one more multiverse has raised 17 million dollars in in series a funding okay this is so this is not just like this is not kickstarter money they just went to investors and said hey give us money and they got 17 million they got the money from one of twitch co-founders one of crunchyroll co-founders and then a venture capitalist firm okay so these are this is not some the one thing i wanted to bring this up because although it looks really cool it looks really professional just be mindful uh tabletop rpg listeners because this is not a some small studio this is like got big money behind it uh so i know that in TTRPG world where we live so close to creators and everything as far as like how accessible everybody is and like even like Wizards of the Coast and all these other corporations they try to make themselves feel small but uh one more multiverse is a big deal so I'm curious to see uh where they go it's currently in beta and they're supposedly they're gonna be releasing in I think Q3 or Q4 of uh, 2021 it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big deal they're gonna be a big challenger for the roll 20s and uh uh the foundries and all those other ones because roll 20 they don't even like you're when you talk about this funding that the amount of money that they have before they even have released anything uh it's big it's actually going to be kind of an interesting case study. Like I, yeah. I have a feeling that in a few years there's going to definitely be some podcasts and maybe some articles written about this because one of the benefits of like a roll 20 is it was a service 
that was created. I'm not trying to give them a free commercial, but they are gamers yep. who were forced to game online. And they're like, this kind of sucks. How can we make it better? And then they use their expertise to build what they wanted within their limitations and their knowledge and their base. And then it was wildly successful. They went to Kickstarter. They raised a bunch of money. It's grown year over year. It's, you know, it's become an actual company now. And so other places, and I may be getting the order, but I, I think Roll20 was first. Maybe it wasn't. But it's like other people are like, oh, we can do that too, but we'll do it a little bit differently. And, but they've all sort of been based from my understanding, the gaming community. So yeah. to have this outside or more like a tech company, like you said, you know, actual venture capitalists just throwing millions of dollars at something, it'll be kind of interesting to see whether or not it creates a better product yeah. or maybe something that looks flashier, but isn't actually as, you know, it doesn't actually do the things that gamers want it to do because there's a disconnect between the people who are building it versus the people who will use it. Yeah. The one thing I can think of is um, Storybook. I'm, I'm forgetting the name. We did a couple Kickstarter episodes for them. They did an actual play with us. It's when they were, I think it was before D&D Beyond. It was going to be what D&D Beyond was. And they basically, that was kind of similar. They oh, had outside yeah, money. And they came in and they were trying to build this program that was going to be like a virtual tabletop. But the designer kind of got a different idea of what they wanted to do. And it fell apart. And they were like, literally millions of dollars were spent. And nothing happened with it. And so, I don't know, cautionary tale there. I can't, I apologize, I can't remember all of it. Uh, yeah. But if you go back and listen to our old episodes, we, we discussed it several times. We had the designers on our show a couple times. Yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is the big thing is this goes against the grain as far as traditional tabletop RPG funding, which the kind of traditional model is you have a bunch of gamers, uh, some of them have different expertise, they build a community, and then they go to Kickstarter, okay? And that's kind of the been the traditional trajectory for a lot of these different platforms, whereas this is a little bit different. This is these people went out and got big money, uh, so these are definitely people who are industry folks already people probably in video games probably in streaming definitely in tech and they went and they got money because they said hey the rpg industry is there's actually real money in there this isn't i uh, this isn't just some joke hobby uh so they're gonna try to they're doing things a little bit different so i'm just seeing how this all this gives i'm getting very strong quest vibes which is very similar kind of you had big money made an RPG product, made it feel very indie. But if you kind of dug a little bit underneath the surface, it's not really very indie. So um, not to say that this is not, not going to work or it's not going to be great or that the people behind it aren't good people. All I'm saying is that this is different. So just something to keep your eyes open, especially when they go to launch. So end of the year. Very cool. Next big news is Gen Con. So uh, Michael, you're kind of more in tune with the Gen Con scene. Uh, do you want to talk about what was just announced recently? So yeah, so if you follow the Gen Con news, go to their website. They announced uh, quite a lot of things about the upcoming year. They're doing some uh, some ancillary events, like pop-up events. They're going to support game stores across the country and maybe even beyond that. I don't know for sure. And like sending them stuff so they can do their own events. But the actual Gen Con experience themselves, they are currently projecting that they will have the event in person. The dates have been moved already. I think that's been announced. But they're going to cap their attendance at between thirty and 40,000, which is about half of what they have had in the years previous. Uh, because of the timing, they will not have access to Lucas Stadium for some of their events, which they've done the last three or four years. There's going to be new procedures in place, like the gaming convention hall will not be open 24 hours. They will close every night to do a thorough cleaning. There will be mask guidelines. They will be putting less tables in each of the rooms so that they can be more spread out. Uh, I think there's a question about vaccine cards and whether vaccinations will be required for attendees. I don't know if they've settled on that yet, but it's certainly one of the discussions. And all of this is subject to change if things get progressively better or worse in terms of the number of people who are symptomatic versus the number who are vaccinated and all that kind of good stuff. So I will say for me, I am now fully vaccinated two weeks past my second shot, actually well past that, but I'm beyond the two-week mark. And typical American, now that I'm fine, I'm feeling a lot more comfortable. And, you know, I've, I've said I don't know if I would go to Gen Con, but I actually think right now I probably will if it can fit into my schedule. Yeah. There are, because it moved and there's other things going on in my life, 
in the past, I've always got a, a press badge, and I don't know if they're even going to do press badges this year. If they do, maybe our little rinky-dink podcast won't qualify anymore. It has in the past, but maybe it won't this year. I don't know. Uh, maybe less people will be able to go press too, so you know, less people fighting over the same number. But I think I would go. So have you ever been to Gen Con? You haven't, right? So I've never been to Gen Con. Uh, one of the big reasons is our summers are typically extremely busy. So, uh, and when I first started getting into con- gaming, it was, I, the first convention I went to was a catacomb. I mean, if you're going to start with one, why not? Yeah. So I kind of realized that, uh, with how much I travel for work, uh, how much we like to travel just as a family, I couldn't fit multiple gaming conventions in my schedule. So I picked a catacomb and stuck with it. I'm sure eventually I'll go to Gen Con, but honestly, Gen Con doesn't have a whole lot of appeal to me. So okay. I have to say, again, I love a catacomb, clearly. Yeah. But to me, Gen Con was a life-changing event. Yeah. I've covered it multiple times. I don't need to do the whole thing here. But it really affected me on a molecular level. Yeah. So I love Gen Con. There would not be in a catacomb without Gen Con. Okay. But there's a part of me that kind of thinks a half the size, more spread out event might be like a better version of, a, of Gen Maybe. Con because it's kind of like a catacomb in a way, you know, it's not so overwhelming, but that's a fundamental different, fundamentally different experience. And who knows how that's going to like, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people who might be able to go, but they don't want to go now. There might be people who might want to go for like vendors, but if there's less people, it may not be worth the, the huge expense to travel and go. And, you know, they can't expect less sales. So, you know, it, it may, they may say we are going to do a half size event, but it may end up being a quarter size of event because of all these other factors, you know, from pandemic, which corollarily is the same decision I'm facing right now with a catacomb. I can say we're going to have it, I can plan for it. I can pay for it. But at this point, I don't know how many people are going to show up. And, you know, Gen Con, you're talking millions of dollars. For me, you're talking thousands of dollars. But I can't afford to be very wrong with my thousands of dollars, much like they can't afford to be wrong with their millions. Yeah. So it's an interesting decision. And I, I hope it goes well, whether or not I can go. Okay, so that's cool. It'll be interesting to see uh, what 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 Gen Con does. So yeah. I think everybody, the whole tabletop world is watching. Absolutely. I certainly am to see how things start to go. There's a couple other conventions that are going to start happening in like July. And, um, you know, I've, I've said that in July or the very first week of August, we will make a decision about a catacomb. I'm kind of waiting to see how some of these other yeah. events go and see if I can measure their attendance this year versus previous years to get a ballpark of what we can expect. So, so nice. expect more catacomb news in the future. You're welcome, America. Yes. Okay. So next thing, uh, Michael, uh, you're working on a little game called Action 12 Cinema. You got any updates for us? Uh, yes. So we have finalized the cover. I sent the payment today. Uh, I can announce that our artist is Brian Patterson, known as D20 Monkey on Twitter. They are. He is awesome. It is frankly incredible. Uh, yeah. It is, is everything I wanted and more than I thought I could ever have. Uh, he's a fantastic artist to work with. He took my original ideas and made them so much better. And I just, I could not be happier with the cover. I really couldn't. Uh, when are we going to, when are you going to release it? When are we going to so, get an update? I have a deadline by May 1st. I'm supposed to have the first draft done and turned over to Tracy, uh, the other Tracy on Twitter, who's who's going to be my editor, but also like project manager for the whole, pro- the whole thing going forward. And I should be on target right now. I think I'm probably maybe three days away. I've got a, roughly a week from now till then. Uh, I just need to sit down and, and get it finished. So when I turn over the f- the first draft, whether that be May 1st or a little a couple days before, maybe a couple days after, I'm going to release the cover as okay. well. And I'm very excited to get it out there. There's part of me that thinks that maybe it makes more sense to wait to make it that part of the reveal for the Kickstarter to make it more exciting. But I am just not the type of person that can do that. I want the world to see it because it's so brilliant. I yeah. love it. And he also designed a, a logo for us. So the imprint that I'm going to be using for all the games that I design, hopefully more than one, I don't know, you know, haven't got one yet officially, is called Plus D12 Gaming. Because as everyone knows, I love the D12. And I've just, I'm saying right now, every game I ever design that I hope to publish will heavily feature the D12. So it's right there on Front Street, plus D12 games. If you play my game, there's going to be some D12s in it. That's the promise. That's the Michael guarantee. 
Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds cool. I am a big fan of that cover. Like I told you, like, I back Kickstarters based on their cover. So, like, that's just me. Uh, so, I would back this game. So, it's cool. <laughs> so, I, I dig it. I, I hope there's about four to 500 more people okay. just like you. For and sure. And that's all we need. Which is, that cover will hopefully pay for itself a thousand times over. Nice. Okay. All right. Uh, and then we want to jump in. We're, we're bringing back our DMs Guild Spotlight. Uh, formerly, we had Justice Armand as our DM Skills correspondent, and he, much like the former James Brown, is now the busiest man in show business. Justice uh, has just gone on to do so many things. We're very excited for him. But unfortunately, he doesn't have time to do this for us anymore. So we have brought in a new DM Skills correspondent, Grant, a.k.a. the underscore Foxblade, a friend of the show, a patron of ours, who is going to start doing those. Uh, so take it away, Grant. Hello, my name is Grant, and on today's DMs Guild Spotlight, I want to tell you about one of my favorite products that I've found on the DMs Guild. It's a tool for DMs and players, new and old alike, I think, to improve narrative storytelling muscles when presented with the mechanics of the game based on dice rolls. The product is the So Here's What Happens Next series by Gateway Games and Cody Gates. Uh, there is a three-product bundle, which covers things from ability checks, combat, and saving throws. Each product is $1.99 each, and there's a three-product bundle that combines all of them for $4.50. Now, what I like about this product, just on the surface, its layout and presentation are very professional. Uh, the tables that they use are solid. They look nice. Uh, in a nice landscape format, and they're easy to read. Um, it's very professional quality, and it will add narrative flavor when you do not want a binary of success-failure based on what you set the DC to be. For example, let's say you're doing a performance check. According to this, you can use their table, and there are three levels of failure and three levels of success. So if you fail the DC by 10, let's say, the prompt that they give you is, oh dear, whatever you were trying has not pleased who witnessed it. And then you would get disadvantage on further social checks, which is an optional mechanical flair that you can throw into your games if you so choose. Now, if you succeed on that DC by more than 10, this is a persuasion or performance check, by the way, everyone is pleased with your performance and there's an optional advantage on further social checks. That is for the ability checks product, which covers skills from acrobatics to stealth, which is all of the skills in 5e, gives you common checks that you would typically do as a player, from assess value of an item to tracking, and all the way to woodcrafters, tools, and alchemist supplies. So kits, tools, and supplies are also covered in that product. It adds necessary flavor um, if you are a newer DM or an older DM who sometimes grasps for inspiration on what to tell your players, which could be all of us, frankly. <laughs> I know as an experienced DM, I am prone to sometimes not giving a range of options and saying, oh, you failed or you succeeded. Um, here's what happens. This allows you to put some narrative flair on it. Uh, the next product is, so here's what happens next, combat, which gives flavor to general melee attacks, general ranged attacks, Spells attacks from acid to radiant damage. And then attacks by monster type from aberrations to plants and undead. I know, for example, when I'm trying to put some flair on how you hurt a plant, I could use some uh, inspiration and flavor for that. And for example, if you do damage to a plant, let's say you do a critical hit, the plant creaks and groans as you break off a chunk, or saps and splinters are flung through the air as you land blow after blow. Now that adds some, some spice, for example. 
The next product is the, so here's what happens next, saving throws. So that covers things from ability saving throws, from strength to charisma, obviously. Spell damage type saving throws, from acid to thunder. Uh, different conditions, which are my favorite part, which are blind to stunned. And then different traps, typical traps and environmental hazards that you might make saving throws against. And then also another one of my favorites is death and dying saving throws. So let me introduce you to the dying saving throws. On a success, so you start to move, but you can't bring yourself to get up yet. So that is if you succeed on a death saving throw, but have not regained hit points. It's just some extra flavor to add to your game. That's not just, oh, I succeeded on a death saving throw, for example. Okay. Okay, great. You want to narrate that a little bit more? This gives you a tool to kind of flex those muscles and start making your own prompts. Ostensibly, this is for newer DMs and players. As I said, I'm a pretty experienced DM, and I've found a lot of use by, by reading these. Just to get my brain thinking about... A, non-binary choices, and B, just adding some extra flavor uh, to my games. So I think anybody, even DMs and players, can make use of this product. Now, links to this product will be in the show notes. And this has been Grant for the RPG Academy with DMs Guild Spotlight. If you have products on the guild that you think I should know about, tweet me at the underscore foxblade on Twitter. All right. Thank you so much for doing that, Grant. We really uh, appreciate you taking the time to spot, uh, spotlight a couple new products or a product that's new, either on DM Guild or through DraftRPG. And just a reminder to anyone listening, there will be links to any of those products that Grant mentioned in our show notes. If you use that link to purchase your own copy, we will get a small percentage through our affiliate partnership with both DMs Guild and DriveThruRPG. So if you're interested in what Grant covered, please go buy a copy, use our link, and help support our show. All right, Tom. So all that out of the way, let's dive into the actual show. What you got for me? Yeah, no. So we're going to be talking about Dungeon Talk Episode 3. So way back in the day, you and Evan were sitting down, and the topic that you were talking about was how to engage your players at the table, and what are the telltale signs that they are just not interested in the game, and how can we fix these problems? So uh, one of the things I wanted we always come back to this whole idea of just communicating at the table and that's great and everybody should be communicating but i want to see if we can maybe think about this and come up with some real some practical things and things to look for uh ways that we can engage our players uh so michael i'm sure that you've you've had this problem before right uh yeah absolutely uh, i I like to think that I'm a pretty good dungeon master, but I'm far from the best in the world, so there are certainly times where I've ran games and I've lost people so more than like individually picking out, like when this happens, I do this. One of the biggest things that I started doing, I would give people time at the beginning of the session to socialize and to catch up. Because that's what I kept finding more than anything else was happening is we were a group of friends. We, we did this together. We also did a few other things together. Some, you know, had like certain groups would break off that usually when people got together, they wanted to catch up. They want to tell the story about what happened at work. They want to talk about this new relationship they were in or, or just ended or this new movie they had watched or whatever the case may be. And, you know, time is precious. So usually I would be like wanting to get into the game right away. As soon as people showed up, sat down, I'm like, okay, let's start the game so we can maximize our time in the game. And it turned out that it was a, it was actually more productive to just let them have half an hour. And, yeah. and it wasn't like I sat there with a watch and I didn't say, we're going to socialize from 7 to 7.30. I just didn't push it. And I would let people get out a lot of that social side before I then said, like, okay, let's now get ready. And I found that worked very well for me. Because it it basically it's like kind of like the session zero ding of of getting distracted as you allow them time at the beginning, get it sort of out of their system for lack of a better phrase, and then then they were ready for the game. But if you jump straight into the game, then they they still had this anxiety about. But I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to talk about when I went to order my food, how they messed up the order and yeah. had to go in. You know, there's all this stuff that's top of mind. So that's my number one piece of advice: is just build in time. 
to let people do that social stuff at the beginning. Now, if you're playing like a one shot with strangers at a convention, that's that's different. This is if you're playing with a regular group of people, most of which are your friends out, you know, inside and outside of gaming. That's like my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I don't do this. I never I don't think I it's interesting you say this. I don't do that like purposely, but we do that at my games. I never said like, oh, we're just going to socialize. I always when everybody gets here at, at my house for gaming at seven o'clock on Wednesdays, everybody just kind of chats for like 15, 20 minutes. And then once I kind of feel like the conversation's kind of dying, everybody's kind of looks like they're starting to settle. That's when we'll that's when we'll start. So, yeah, I kind of do the same thing. And I, I and then also the other thing that we'll do is we always probably about an hour and a half in, we'll take a quick break. Um, everybody will grab some snacks or whatever. And then we'll we'll do that for like 15 or 20 minutes. And, yeah, I think that that really helps get the jitters out of, of people, let people talk a little bit and whatnot. But one of the other things is like, yeah, so we kind of like that's the socializing aspects. But some of the other things that dms or our gms may run into is uh well the one i want to talk about is and i feel like this this gets brought up all the time so devices at the table okay so obviously people check on their phones and whatnot but you brought up something interesting that i didn't even think about before approaching you with this conversation is the whole idea of with distracted players now we're dealing with the whole idea that where a lot of people are playing digitally so yeah. how do you keep people engaged when you're not sitting with them face to face i i can i don't have a great answer for this i feel like through my training as a facilitator with both of my i guess all three of my professional jobs in my career one of the things I did a lot was teach people's stuff. So I got pretty good at being able to lead a team, lead a class and, you know, I'd watch people and I could, usually you can tell there's a change in body language, you know, again, devices, whether or not they're actually paying attention in gaming, like, you know, people building dice towers. You have some people maybe who are doodling, maybe they're looking up rules in a book to when they level next, like what feet they're going to take. They're like pre-planning things. So some of it's very obvious that people are distracted but when you're on like a Zoom call or maybe a Roll20, maybe you're even playing a game, but you're not using a webcam, you're only doing voice. How can you tell when someone is engaged? I don't know that there's a great answer. I think the biggest thing is when it's their turn, they don't realize that. Like they're like, okay, what's yeah. happening again? Okay, you know, if you're in a combat and I go to Tom, say, like, okay, Tom, it's your turn. And you don't know what had happened just before you, so I have to recap for you, which I would anyways, because that's part of my thing for playing theater of the mind. I always recap, but let's say I have to do it more with you because you weren't paying attention when Sarah was going or when Jake was going. I think that's a way that you can tell someone's not engaged. Uh, maybe if they're just not participating, like if it's a role play scene and there's like one or two players who just aren't being vocal during a scene that should involve them maybe there's something tied to their backstory or something that you thought oh you know tom's gonna love this moment and you don't seem to be interacting with that moment but beyond that i don't do you have any thoughts on that so yeah so for me it's yeah playing with people online is is really tricky uh but for me it all comes down to not having a lot of players okay because when you have a lot of players it's a little bit easier around a table but i found with online games like three players for me is like the golden for three online is my games. favorite because with that said there's not a lot of waiting when you have three players like you have you're it's not like you're you've got four or five players and this person does a role playing and this person does it or like you have these people uh, and then somebody may not do anything for like 30 minutes and then they're kind of uh distracted but if you if i have found that having three players just just reduce if you're going to run a long term campaign online don't uh don't feel like you have to have four tape, four players or feel like you have to have, oh, I, I need to have my, I got to have a fighter, rogue, cleric, and wizard. Or like feel like you have to have a real rounded party. Don't be afraid to go with fewer players because I think you're going to just naturally run into the problem of distracted players far less often when you have fewer of them. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree. And I also think just managing expectations. Yeah. If you have a friend that only comes for the combat, like they that's their thing. They really enjoy the combat aspect, but they don't care a whole lot about the story and the role play, and you're okay with that, then be okay with that. 
if they don't really speak up, then that's, you know, to use like a, a sports analogy, you know, on a team, you need your superstars, but you also need your role players, which is kind of opposite because I, I mean people who don't like to role play in this yeah. case. But you you have a mixture of interests and talents on the team. And so when it's the role play portion, maybe you have one or two characters who really shine at that. But when it's combat, the other person gets to shine. And as long as everyone at the table is okay with that, then it's really not a problem. I like to run games that are very heavy roleplay focused, so I want everyone involved at the same time. I also run games where there's a bit of mystery and, you know, like remembering that this player or this character said this phrase like twice in a row. Like, did that mean something? Like, was that intentional? Are they trying to tell us something? Which probably was me making a mistake, but I'll make it mean something later because that's, again, what Michael does. But those are the types of games I run, and if you have people who aren't paying attention, then you're never going to you're never going to be successful because they're not paying that level of attention. So, you know, managing your expectations as the DM, managing the expectations of what you want from your player, communicating that, whether it be in the session that shall not be named or or other times, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, yeah. But when you have someone that you expect to be engaged and they're not, how do you address it? So I you go to go to Tom. And I see that Tom's building a dice tower. He's also playing with his background on Zoom. He's, yeah. he's constantly changing it around. Um, I, I see him. He's reading a book and he's reading his phone at the same time. So clearly Tom is not engaged with my story. What advice would you give me to get Tom back on board with the story? It's so funny that you bring this up because I'm dealing with this right now in my Ghost of Saltmarsh game. And I'm dealing... And I'm dealing with it with Jake. All right. So a lot of you, anybody who watches our ghost Saltmarsh or listens to it is you guys, I, I have, I have, I don't beat around the bush or try to say anything. Otherwise, Jake is clearly my favorite player. Okay. Uh, because me and Jake, we kind of, we, we kind of usually hit up the same wavelength and he likes what I like in games. So, uh, but here's the thing. Jake has currently been very busy lately and is in the process of getting his house ready to sell and all these things. So Jake is very tired. So uh, the last two sessions, it's been funny. Once we hit around 1030 at night, Jake starts waning. All right. I could see it. Like he's, he's just, he's, he's starting to, he's starting to slow down. And I can tell he's like, Tom, end this so I can go to bed. And so, uh, so this, it's interesting because I'm trying to, Jake is my player who's typically super engaged with everything. And he's, he's, He's not. So uh, it's it's really – that is – I don't – it's so tough. And honestly, I've been very much coming above the table and just asking him outright, just continuously, uh, uh, Jake, uh, what is what is your character – what is your character doing? Or what do you want to do right now? And I'm not – I don't typically like to do that. I like to be more natural and everything. But in these kind of cases, I'm able to kind of snap him out of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think when you when you run into a situation where your your regular player is not engaged, the big thing is just ask them at the table, like, "Hey, what do you want to do right now? Uh, uh, what's what's your player? What's your character doing?" And then uh, try to figure out why they're not engaged. So for me, it's very easy. I know that, hey, Jake is tired, and he's being a trooper, and he's still playing. It's not like he's not into the story. I know that he's into the story. So it's really just kind of figuring out why uh, they're not engaged. Yeah. So for me personally, trying to think back sometimes that I've lost interest in games, it's, it's usually A, because either I'm not interested in what's happening at the moment, it's a story or a plot line that I just don't find that interesting, or more, it's I don't like my role in what's happening at the moment. And, you know, it could be that it's just I wanted to move faster and I would rather like kick down a door and then start a fight rather than spend an hour trying to sneak into a place. Or I might be the one who's like, we really should be sneaking right now. But everyone else seems hard pressed to want to fight. So I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that people will get over either, either way. You know, if I don't get my way, I'm not going to flip the table and go home. But that might just mean, you know what, this isn't the, the best version of this story for me. So I like the way you're interacting with Jake, you know, and I do agree that I think normally I would want to make it a little less obvious. That's what we're doing. Yeah. I try to try, just try to say, okay, Jake, so your character is here and here and here. You know, what would you like to do next? Or, or what, you know, what, what do you see happening and I think I use the word give them agency, which I'm a big fan of, is give the player agency in that moment. Because if you let them 
control the narrative even a little bit, they're going to tell you exactly what they wanted to see that would get them more engaged because you, they now have the power to make that reality. So give them a little agency in the story. Give them a little narrative control uh, just to see what they would do differently than what's currently happening, if that's a possibility. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into one of the things. I wanted to go back and look at your all's previous uh, dungeon talk. And one of the things that you said then was that you would give them player agency. If you see a player that's not engaged, you are uh, allowing them to interact with the world. So I think before we really, I want to hear more about this, but I think it's important to, to me to find what player agency is. And I think it's when you, when I say that I, as the game master, have given my player agency, what I'm saying there is that my, the player at the table, they feel like they have the freedom to almost act like a game master and build into the world. So for me, um, all of my players in my Ghost of Saltmarsh game and then my Forbidden Lands game that we play at um, my, my personal game, all of my players know like if they're interacting with the scene, they can then all of a sudden say like, oh, there's actually this campfire that is burning over here. Or uh, I see somebody over there selling selling fresh fruit or vegetables, or there's a chandelier, the classic, there's a chandelier in the room. All of my players kind of know, and that's just because we've played for so long and we do have set, we have set those expectations. That's what player agency is in our games. They know that they can add into the world. So for you, Michael, what would you say is, how do you give player agency and what is player agency for you then? Yeah, so I would define it differently than yeah. that. I think player agency and what you're describing is what I would call player narrative control. Okay. And I think they're very closely related, but I do think that they are different. So to me, having players with the authority to say, I jump on the chandelier rather than asking if there's a chandelier okay. is giving them narrative control. So they, they can say something that is true in the world without first checking with me to make sure that I agree that it's true in the world. Okay. Player agency is when they have the ability to make decisions that will affect the way the story goes. Like they can choose to not go talk to the cleric who I've just laid out the breadcrumbs is the one they need to go talk to. Or they can fight when I want them to talk. They can talk when I want them to fight. They have the ability for their character. So I guess that's the difference. One's a player thing and one's a character thing. Okay, yeah. If the character's can make choices that affect the world, then they have agency. If they are just going along my plot, then they don't. But even within that, I think there's gradations. Like I've said many times before, I don't think it's outside my realm of responsibility as a DM to say there are three ogres running at you trying to kill you. What do you do? But it's not okay for me to say you are definitely going to fight these ogres. Okay. Once I have set the stage that there's three ogres rushing at you, and I've said to the players, what do you want to do? The agency is whether is how they can interact with that challenge and any of them be potentially successful. They can run away. They can try to fight them. They can try to bribe them. They can try to trick them. Whatever the case may be, they have the ability to make a choice because I don't particularly care as a DM whether they kill the ogres as long as they deal with the ogres. That yeah. makes sense. No, it does. And I think that both, yeah, like I do think, like you said, I think those are two different things. But I think that what they do share in common is that they then, they allow the players to do more than to just kind of like react. Be, yeah, be in the world and that they're there. It allows them to interact and create. And so I definitely think like if they know that they have that freedom to do so, I think they're going to be more inclined to to listen and to be engaged and i do think like i said for i've been playing with all of my players in both of my groups for a long time so they all know me and they know that i let them do those kind of things but i don't think it's that hard to do for like a one shot at convention just kind of tell people uh very clearly up front like hey you have the you have the ability to decide what you want to do don't feel like just because i say something that's the way it is uh give input and hmm. so it's just like and yeah and it's also, again, there's different types of games. And, again, I think there's beer and pretzel is a is a, a way people yeah. describe certain types of games where it is like I show up for my round of combat and then I might go play darts, you know, or assuming you're actually in a bar. So, you know, if you're going to play the type of game where you want the players to be engaged fully, then that's an expectation. 
at the, at the beginning of the session, you know, beginning of the game, but in the campaign, so that people know that, because maybe that's not the kind of game they want, or maybe that is the type of game they want. You know, I think setting those expectations is very clear. Uh, I believe I also had mentioned before about give them, get them something to do in the game, like roll dice. Yes. Uh, I'm a type of player that I'm fine with not rolling dice, because I actually actively try to avoid it as much as I can. Same. But I am atypical. We we are definitely atypical when it comes to that. And a lot of players enjoy that part of it. They want to roll dice. We want them to be meaningful. Don't make them roll meaningless dice. But then change things up. There's roof ninjas all of a sudden. As, as Caleb likes to make fun of me all the time for that 13th Age game. I would argue, if you go back and listen, though, it was time for a fight in that game. I, I kind of feel like that's a good example of maybe the players getting a little like antsy with what's happening. So I threw a fight in there that maybe didn't make exact sense, but it got everyone engaged in the game again. Uh, make a skill check, have an NPC show up kind of out of the blue and give them a chance to like, do they trust them? Make a persuasion check, make a, you know, a intuition type of check, bring the rules up because yeah. just the process of looking at their sheet, figuring out the math and, you know, engaging with their character, I think is a tangible way to get people back sort of awake if they've lost interest or just drifted. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I'll mention too is some people, like I'm a doodler. So if we're, we're in a meeting at work, I will often be doing little doodles, but I am paying attention. I am listening. I am engaged. But that's just a thing that I do. And I know there are people who are like that, that even though they're building a dice tower, that may not mean they're not paying attention. So that's kind of learning your players and knowing yeah. them also. No, it's funny too. Like you say that. I think definitely players who are not also game masters like to, they like to interact with the rules typically. Like they like that. And I think I'm a, I think the rules matter. And I love, uh, I love good rules that help the game out. And so I think that when players get to kind of interact with the game, like you're saying, it, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're actually interacting with the game and doing something at the table for us for example we're both heavily dungeon masters uh that's what we like to do so for me i never i will never ever at a table ask for a role and that's just me personally like i'll say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna read this book and everything and what do i find and then it's up to the the dungeon master is gonna be like hey hold on you actually need to go ahead and make your your intelligence check i'll be like oh yeah yeah that yeah that that's right um whereas i have all i have one of my players in my regular game they'll ask for they'll ask for roles because that's what they that's what they like to do they're like okay i want to go ahead and i'm gonna look for this can i go ahead and, and do a searching role or whatnot because that's what they, they like to do and then yeah. they, they they roll their dice and if they they feel like oh i guess i didn't find anything this time okay here keep on going and it's just like it to them that was to when i, I know that when i asked that ro for rolls from them they like that kind of stuff so so I, I wanted to ask uh because again i have not revisited these episodes in a long time you know evan was my co-host originally he was the younger the newer side was there anything in particular he had suggested that you recall yeah, so this is funny. Uh, this was the his thing that he suggested was, and I don't know if you agreed, and you didn't really agree with this then, all right? Uh, if you actually were very vocal that you disagreed with him. Okay, um, Evan oh, was just, Evan was just like, uh, yeah, I found that like when when people aren't really engaged, I just give them some loot, I give them some magic items that usually makes them happy. Um, so uh, because it's funny, so Michael, do you like if you see a player that's not engaged with the story or maybe over a few sessions? Is, is one of your kind of uh, tricks in your bag to just give them a magic item? No, absolutely not. I completely still disagree with that. Though, it, looking back on my, my relationship with Evan, I feel like this was like a meta comment. He wanted his characters to get magic okay. items. Ooh, okay, gotcha. So, uh, but, but I actually do find a little value in that idea in a broad sense. Uh, in the moment, no, I don't... I'll, I mean, I guess I threw in a ninja roof fight, so maybe throwing in a random loot drop isn't the worst idea in the world. But I do like the idea of giving them new stuff to play with. Okay. Because that then gives them a new way to interact with the world. If they now have a potion of invisibility, but they're not a rogue, not someone who typically sneaks, that gives them a new avenue for how to deal with the next challenge. Maybe those three ogres... Now they'll just turn invisible. That was an option they didn't have before. So, you know, giving them a couple different things that change how they interact with the world could give them a spark of inspiration or just, again, cognitive process of going, okay, well, this is, you know, I have this plus plus to attack and this plus to sneak. Oh, but I got this new item that lets me climb really fast. So is there a tree nearby? You know, that might give them a little bit of a 
different way to view the world, which will cause them to ask questions or to get engaged. So actually, I do see that. I don't think like in the moment, just like all of a sudden, you know, a loot drop happens, but giving people some interesting things to change the way they interact with the, with the world isn't a bad idea. So it's funny that I was listening to this because this is, I do this and I agree with Evan so much. Okay. So <laughs> because uh, I have found that it's not over the course of one session. Like if I see a player's distracted for like 30 minutes, I'm not going to be like, okay, here's your new plus five magic sun sword or whatever if i see that a player is over like two or three sessions like something's not jiving with them i have found that one of the easiest things to do is to give them a cool magic item and and make that magic item also tie into their backstory and make it a story thing too and that just instantly kind of breathes uh new life into it and here's this is so funny this got our our last ghost of saltmarsh stream they were joking. My players were joking. I literally give them so many magic items. They asked me for magic. I'm just like, yeah, sure. That'd be cool to have. And it's funny because I give them so many magic items. It's been kind of, they're kind of mundane. And now they're using these super powerful magic items for the stupidest things. So <laughs> for example, that we, Jake has a, he's got one of those cloaks in D&D with all the patches with all those usable items on it and everything. So like one of the items is a ladder. So like, so like if you want to get up into a window or something. So Jake just decides he's going to rip off his ladder patch so he can have a ladder and hit some guy in the head. And he just wastes <laughs> his, his ladder patch. But so for me, it really has worked that I have, I just give them more and more and more magic items and they forget about all the magic items they have that's how many they have but i have found if you're two or three sessions the player isn't necessarily just maybe they're engaged at the table but you feel like they're not really engaged with the story i have found giving them a magic item like it's the cure-all i mean everybody everybody loves magic items man you know your players better than i do and if it's working then who am i to disagree no you're you don't disagree if you're having fun fun, you're doing it right doing it right and give them a crap ton of magic items to your table makes the game more fun then absolutely maybe that maybe that's what's changed with you michael because you definitely disagreed with evan way more than you sound like you're disagreeing with me (laughs) you've changed you've evolved you've you've matured you've you've matured no okay so the other so i think those are the big three ways that uh, you all talked about ways to engage players so giving them agency uh letting them interact with the rules that evan's thing was give them magic items and i agree there Uh, but are there any other things that we can do to encourage players uh at the table if we feel like they're being distracted anything new that comes to mind for you I mean, I've, I've heard other people say, you know, give different players different roles. Uh, so like when it comes time to combat, one person runs initiative, one okay, person, yeah. uh, you know, finds the minis if you're t- playing that or you're responsible for dealing with the map, moving people's tokens around so that, you know, everybody has a reason to be engaged. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that. I don't disagree with it, but I don't know that it's super helpful. I've, I've never actually done it. Uh, but I don't. But I've heard other people say it. So do, was that something you would consider doing? Because uh, again, I run such a light combat game that really doesn't work. It's, it would be more like um, if you're we're playing with an NPC and like you know we're uh, trying to negotiate a better room price, then maybe I'll have another player step in and be the NPC. That might be my version of that and say rather than you not being here right now, Tom. Because uh, your character doesn't care about this, they're off, you know, doing a side mission. We're going to circle back to how about you play the innkeeper who doesn't want to give Jake's character a, a better price on the room, and then let you yeah. let the two of you role play that out so that they're still engaged even when their character isn't engaged. Yeah, I've definitely I don't do it, but yeah, I, I've heard that from many people. Like you have the note taker, you've got the like you said the initiative tracker. People are doing things at the table. I don't do it to keep my players engaged, but I actually have started doing this with my Forbidden Lands game because we are following the rules as written so i've got jake is like the map keeper he's keeping the maps and everything and then we've got people tracking all the loot and encumbrances just because there's been so much stuff for me to track as the game master but i i didn't do that like like consciously like i want to do this so that everybody's engaged it was just something i was like uh i don't want to do all this work um what do you guys want to do so i I, i've definitely heard that as well so okay so we'll here we'll throw it out to the listeners as always. Uh, if anyone listening has suggestions, things that they have tried that worked, maybe seen things they tried that didn't work. Uh, maybe you are the distracted player 
what would work for you? What, what are you looking for when you're distracted? Do you just want to be left alone for 10 minutes because you're zoning out and on your own come back to the table without someone trying to, you know, draw you in or police your behavior? Well, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear the other side of this. Yeah, one of the other, yeah, for sure. If you have something that works for you as a dungeon master or player, let us know. But one of the things, speaking of players, I wanted to ask you, this is not something you all talked about. Uh, so how much, this is a, our final conversation topic. I wanted to ask you, Mike, because I think this is important. How much of it is the GM's responsibility to make sure the players aren't bored? When does this responsibility come to the players? Oh, see, I, that's hard for me. I guess because part of me wants to say no, just like Ralph, that like my instant reaction to say it's not their responsibility because it's a group yeah. activity. Everyone should come to the table wanting to be involved. But the storyteller in me also thinks if I if I craft a good story, people are going to be engaged. And if if I if I'm failing, that's when they get bored so this may be more of a like michael anxiety thing or you know like a worry type of situation because i feel like it's in my power if i'm good enough that no one will be bored now that's objectively not the case but i still feel that way so i'm going to say like 60 40 gm to player players need to show up they need to be engaged uh you know again at this point we're adults we have to set time aside for this and if i'm going to set a time to you know be away from my family to, to make time for this game why would i not want to enjoy myself there and make everyone else have a good time but i do kind of feel like the gm through session zero ding take a drink crafts a game that these players want to be in they've created characters that fit in the story and if you're doing all the things that you said you would do and you're doing them fairly well then why wouldn't the players want to be engaged and if they're not maybe it's not anything to do with you or the game you know i've said before sometimes no session is better than a bad session you know if jake is just super tired one night maybe you don't play that night yeah I, I no, I it's interesting. I definitely uh when I first started playing, I definitely felt like the the onus was on me as the game master to entertain my players. Okay? And we had great games, okay? Fantastic games. But I was getting burnt out. Uh I always felt like I was having to perform for them. And I had great players. Um a lot of them still play in my 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 regular game group, uh, but I feel like I as the I started to have more fun when I started to take some of the expectations away from me to make sure everybody's engaged and put them on my players. And I think that there are certain players who play in my games that I do have higher expectations for. So there are some players who uh, who play with me that if. I, I feel more inclined to make sure that they're engaged, all right? But when I have players like uh, my, my my brother, who's a great role player, or or Jake or Troy or some of these other pe- folks who play with me, they are very much type A personalities, people who have theater backgrounds, or it, these sort of people, like, they're like me, and so I'm not going to try to entertain them. Like, I want to be entertained as well. So, right. uh, for I think it's different. I think it's just, it's kind of comes back to knowing your players. I definitely, me personally, I say, as if you're a game master, don't put all the pressure on yourself. Like, you will get burnt out just communicate with your players and players if you feel like you're not having uh, a great time at the table don't instantly blame the dungeon master go to them and tell them that you're having a bad time or that you're not really engaged with the story and don't just expect it to just be fixed like don't just sit there and say well i guess it's not it's not working on my story anymore oh well Go, go tell them. A lot of times they don't know. They're, they're trying to run like four different backstories for all these players. Right. They got the main plot. There's a lot to juggle. And so uh, just And, and offer know. solutions. You know, say, you know, I'm really not engaged right now because I thought this would happen. Or maybe we could do this. Or maybe I could change my character. I'm not really engaged with my mm-hmm. character anymore. I feel like their story's over. Can I bring it? You know, it doesn't mean that necessarily you're bringing the solution, but bring op- options and so- options for solution. And I think 
if everybody's being reasonable and being adults, there's no reason why yeah. we couldn't work together and make it better. Yeah, I think it, yeah, as if players, if you don't feel like you're being engaged after the session, just just talk to your talk to your game master. Uh, let them know. Uh, I trust you. I trust that uh, most game masters are. They're not. Uh, I hate the trope of the terrible game, the, the terrible who wants to doom and gloom their players. Uh, it's just a, it's, I think it's an old school trope that I don't think really exists a whole lot today. Sure, they're out there, but uh, your game master won't bite. Unless they're a vampire or something else. But yeah, just go talk to them, you know? Maybe they're hardcore into the role play. Uh, and r- I hard, say, real role players. <laughs> I'm not going to take credit for this. Yeah. But I feel that back when this show started, and it was probably maybe a year or two into the show when I really started talking about Session Zeros. Ding. Everyone take a drink. Yep. And I would see on forums, on Reddit, on Facebook, I would say, you know, have you considered doing a session that shall not be named and i will get all kinds of pushback like i've been playing for 30 years i've never done one of those that's just a bunch of malarkey it's you know social warrior justice bullcrap hurt you know don't hurt people's feelings i know my players and blah blah blah, yep. blah blah and i think just over the like the last few months i've noticed that now i go on facebook and people will say hey i'm starting a new campaign we did our session zero last night Ding, ding. it just seems like it's becoming commonplace that these do exist and i'm i'm hearing a lot less people naysaying them and i'm like it's not because of me yeah but i like i like to think that maybe our positive energy has helped move the world in that direction a little bit because i do think they're valuable i do think they solve so many problems before they become problems they don't solve every problem but i do think they're very valuable and it's just nice to see that more and more people are sort of coming to that realization or the newer players have just been introduced to that concept from the beginning and it's just the way it's supposed to be where those of us who are older Maybe that was some of the pushback we had is that we never did it before, but we had fun. So are you saying our games weren't fun? Because they were fun. So you must be, you know, that sort of us versus them mentality. No, it all comes. I I totally agree. I think it all comes down to that initial communication. That's where you can have those conversations like, hey, here's the player agency you all have. Here's our expectations for devices. Uh, Here's what we're going to do for like when we everybody arrives at the table. Talk about those things. Don't talk. Just talk about your story. So, yeah. Yeah. I think every episode of Faculty Meeting will always come down to communicate. Communicate. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So. Well, Tom, as always, thank you so much for sort of leading the charge. Again, I'm bringing the faculty meetings back. They're very much near and dear to my heart. Thank you again for going back and re-listening to the old episodes and helping to sort of generate new content and putting the outlines together. I, yep. I really do appreciate the effort that yep. you're putting into these, and I hope people listening do as well. You know, our show has grown so much over the years, just in, in, in breadth, if not depth. But faculty meetings have always been a favorite of, of people who listen. A lot of people who are patrons of ours, they came for the faculty meetings. They've stayed for other things. And I really hope that they are listening and appreciating these episodes. And that really is Tom is the one who's sort of driving this forward. So thank you, sir. Uh, no problem. We just have about 100 and uh, we'll, we'll circle back around to these. We have infinite faculty meetings now <laughs> if we use this format. So anyway, I uh, know it's always good to do these. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Any final thoughts on today or any last word before we sign off? Uh, no, as always, you can follow me at on Twitter at BezcarTom. Uh, and then uh, definitely go uh, follow us on Twitch as well so you can see when we go live with everything. Yeah, uh, we are still working towards our next giveaway. So we had 600 followers on Twitch. We're going to do a giveaway. We still haven't decided what yet, but uh, yep. we're not there yet, so it's okay. But last I checked, we were at 515. And we also were up to four subscribers, which is amazing for us. I'm super excited about that. So yep. please uh, go watch Ghost of Saltmarsh every other Wednesday. On the alternate Wednesdays, you can watch me running Detention Live with my co-host Chris Burlew and, and guest special guest co-host that jump on. Those weeks, I'm also doing Shadows Spawns. There's the Shadows Pawns also on Twitch. And then Monday through Friday, I've been doing Dragon Warrior 2 through Michael Plays the Classics. I've occasionally been doing some mini painting. So if you listen to any of this, if you're still listening now you should come follow us on Twitch as well. Uh, And again, you can find everything I do at the RPG Academy. So before we go, we have to say one final thing. Tom, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, and if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. 
You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.